This is the Novel Marketing Podcast. I'm James L. Rubar. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. And this is the show for novelists who want to become best-selling authors. And today we are going to talk about one of our favorite topics in all the world. You're, you're not talking about R-E-S-P-E-C-T, are you? <laughs> that is what you think of me. Suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it. No, we are going to be talking about... I hope we don't have to um, pay licensing for that song. We weren't singing it. We were just quoting it. Mr. Copyright person. All right. No, today we are talking about email marketing and e- and specifically seven tips for more effective email newsletters. But first, we're going to talk about – sing it again, Thomas. Okay, don't sing it. <laughs> we are actually going to talk about respect. So here's the deal. Uh, we, we did a whole episode on this a while back, and I think we said it then. But you know what? I'm going to say it again because this is so important. Spam is in the eye of the beholder. The only thing that makes you spam is if the person receiving the email thinks you're spam. So you may be thinking you're sending out great emails and they're valuable and they're funny and they're entertaining and they're talking about the world's most amazing book. But if the person receiving it pushes that button that says Marcus spam, what happens is that all of your emails to that person in the future automatically get marked as spam. And it's a vote to their email provider that all emails to that entire provider get marked as spam. So it only takes one or two Gmail people to mark you as spam. And then suddenly all of your emails to all Gmail subscribers or all Gmail users get marked as spam automatically, even the people who don't who do want to get your email. So the few who don't want to get it can poison it for everyone who does. You see, there's this thin line between creepy and charming. This is one of the things I teach when I'm talking to young people. Now I've written a relationship book. And the name of that line is permission. So an act that is incredibly creepy without permission, it's stalking without permission, it's pursuit with permission. And that is the key to email marketing. Only send emails to people who've given you permission to send them emails. And as soon as they withhold that permission, make it very easy for them to say no. So one of the reasons I don't like constant contact is that it is hard to unsubscribe from a constant contact email. You have to click a link, then you have to type in your email address, which if you're on a phone and have a long email address, is a real hassle. And if your name is last name is Umstat and spelling that is difficult even for people whose own last name it is, not to be specific only or anything. Slight, only slightly easier, <laughs> Rubart. Yeah. So, you know, if your last name is Smith, maybe it's easier. But chances are if it's Smith, then you don't have that in your actual email because all the other Smiths took it first. So you have to type it and then you have to push a button to unsubscribe. And only then are you removed. So much easier to just push the spam button. And so I like email programs. Uh, like MailChimp, which is free up to 2,000 subscribers and who should totally sponsor the show, but they don't because um, we haven't asked them. <laughs> but uh, uh, they have a one-click unsubscribe, which I think is the far better way to do it. And, and remember, uh, with an email newsletter, you will have people in MailChimp. We're going to talk about MailChimp in a little bit here. But with MailChimp, it tells you who unsubscribed, and often they give a reason why they unsubscribe. So someone, uh, this happens often to me where people will say they've unsubscribed and they give the reason as, I never signed up for it in the first place. Well, the reality is they did sign up for it. It's the only way you can get on my email list, but they still either didn't remember doing it 
or maybe it's been a while since I sent one out, so they forgot. But the point is you need to make it very, very easy for them to unsubscribe. So even if they subscribed, they might not remember it and want an easy way out. Especially if you don't send out emails very often. So one of the temptations for novelists, and we have quite a few novelists uh, listening to this podcast, is that you only send out emails when you have a new book coming out, which is not a bad strategy. It's better to send out no email than an email where you're not saying anything. Um, But the risk is if it takes you three or four years to write a novel – those four years, people forget about you. You know, do you remember the names of all the people of uh, all the books that you read four years ago? I, I sure don't. And so, um, you need ideally you have some sort of reason that's interesting for them because remember, people don't care about you; they care about them. So you need to write an email in such a way where it's interesting for them, uh, so that you can stay top of mind. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So that ends our public service announcement about respect, <laughs> brought to you by the good citizens of the internet who don't like spam. So if you don't like spam, uh, do not spam unto others as you would have them not spam unto spam you. Unto you. <laughs> I, I don't think that's quite how the verse goes. All right. So tip number one is provide consistent value. So, Jim, how do you provide consistent value in an email? You give them one of five things. You give them entertainment. You give them encouragement. You give them something to rail against. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was my evil laugh. Uh, If you want to know why I'm laughing maniacally, listen to our last episode on uh, dealing with uh, people who don't like you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Did I say encourage? Uh, Encourage. um, You give them some kind of education, right? And then the fifth one is you give them a laugh. You you make them you know smile or see a video or see a cartoon or something that makes them put some joy into their life. Yeah, emotion. If you're going to go, yeah. if you're going to be a good Baptist pastor and have them all start with an E. <laughs> all right. So all right. So th- those are very broad words: education, emotion, entertainment. Um, so here are some suggestions specifically for you to do because we like having a practical podcast here in Novel Marketing World. So we're going to give you some ideas that you can put into practice for your specific book. And the number one thing, the way that you can provide consistent value with your email is – drumroll please. Some high-end some high uh, sound effects there. New book announcements. The number one reason people subscribe to your email newsletter if you're an author is to find out when your next book comes out because – Amazon is kind of hit and miss emailing you when a, a author that you read a lot of has a new book out. And Audible, which is what I use rather than Amazon, is very hit and miss. So sometimes I'll be shocked that an author that I love has a new book out six months ago that I would have bought six months ago if I knew about it. And so a lot of people who are subscribing to your email list want to know when books are coming out. And you can send more than one email. You can get away with five typically. A book comes out in two weeks. Is email one. The second email is book comes out in one week. The next one is book comes out tomorrow. The next one is book comes out today. And then you can send another one. Uh, the fifth one is whatever uh, results. You know, if you hit the Amazon bestseller list or something like such and such book just was, you know, number 500 in, on Amazon or number one in such and such category is a good excuse uh, for the fifth for the fifth email. And people are okay with that frequency because they know that it's not going to be that frequency all the time. The next thing you can send out is news. In other words, if you just got your cover in, you can send, hey, here's my new cover. This is what the book looks like. Hey, thanks so much um, for subscribing to this newsletter. Wanted to let you know that 
my book is just about done. I've just about finished the manuscript, that kind of thing. The danger here, though, is if, that's, if it's all about you and there's not something in it for them, like Thomas said, they care about themselves, not about you, then it just becomes, oh, rah, rah, rah for me. So even when you're giving announcements about the cover, about how far you're progressing, this sort of thing, you still want to tie it back into them. Right. It has to be news that's interesting, not just news, because uh, most people don't care about most kinds of news, and so you have to right. make it relevant. Uh, another practical way that you can provide consistent value is to ask for feedback. I did this quite a bit with my book, Courtship in Crisis, and we had great results. So, for instance, uh, I needed a photo for the back cover of the book. So I went and you know got a very expensive uh, photo shoot from very fancy photographers. And I came for, away from that shoot with four or five photos. And so instead of – so we they, they took a lot and I selected five. So instead of picking which of the five went on the back of my book, I – put it up for a vote and I uh, sent it out uh, to, you know, my folks on Facebook and I think I sent it out as an email as well. I'm not sure. And I got an in- huge amount of feedback. Everyone voted for a uh, photo and it became one of the more uh, things people were most interested in the book. Like they didn't care about the book. They just wanted to know if their photo won <laughs> <laughs> the vote. And that was like the number one question I got when we were like, the book's coming out and they're like, which photo did you pick? Um, and so people love having their feedback solicited. Um, I think that it's even more important to do this on a cover. So if you have two or three different cover options, put it up for a vote and people then have a sense of ownership. And it's also useful for you because it doesn't matter if you like your book cover. It doesn't matter if you like your author photo. It doesn't matter if you like your book. It only matters if your readers like your cover, your book, and your photo. <laughs> what? It's all about them? <laughs> I, it, I know it sounds crazy, but they're the ones who actually need to buy the book. You know, you can buy and read your own book. Uh, but that is not going to change the world. And so ultimately you need to get that feedback from your, from your readers and they want to give it to you. One of the other things you can put in there is reviews. Now it's real easy to take a five-star review uh, from Amazon and put that in there. I'm not saying that's bad because somebody else is talking about your book, but I'd encourage you to go deeper. And so instead of talking, uh, posting that review, Post a quick story about somebody who wrote to you and said, oh, my gosh, you know, I was contemplating suicide until I read your book. And then I read your book and it it brought me such light. That's a more powerful review. And I would encourage you not to include names in that (laughs) yeah, Uh, (laughs) because you don't want to get sued. But that's a much more powerful review than just quoting something that raves about how great you are or the book. Uh, is go deeper, go to the emotional level. Thomas, for example, his book that's out right now, Courtship and Crisis, he was talking to me about it, well, in the last podcast, and these people are writing to him going, oh my gosh, I'm dating for the first time ever. I'm 26 years old. I'm going on dates. This is so cool. That's much more powerful than somebody who says Thomas's book is a must read. That's really good. Another thing that you can include is reader art. So uh, the younger your readers are, the more likely they are to draw your book, uh, scenes from your book, characters from your book, and other readers who don't know how to draw would love to see that. And so putting that into your emails is the sort of things that people would love to uh, to see in an email. That's that's kind of fun to look at. They won't look at it long, but again, this is just a way of getting your name in front of folks and reminding folks they'd actually want to open that email. Another thing is reviews for other books. So there's certain authors who I really like, like Brandon Sanderson, James L. Rubart, but they only <laughs> put out a certain number of books every year, like sometimes only one book a year or even less. And I read a lot more books than that. And so and you probably have this too. There's authors who you really like who you're frustrated they're not writing more books. Well, they can only write so many. But what they but most good authors, in fact pretty much every 
successful author I know, reads voraciously in their um, genre and in other genres. And they often have very good taste. And so if an author who I like likes a book, there's a very good chance I will read that book that they like. And so a great thing to do in in an email is to review a book in your similar genre. So if you're writing romance and you're reading Christian nonfiction, um, chances are that your romance readers aren't going to care about the Christian nonfiction a book that you just read. Although if you write a really good review, maybe they will, especially if they're Christian romance readers. But in general, you want to stay within your genre. So if James L. Rubart just read a you know speculative book, you know some sort of fantasy book that he really liked, there's a good chance that I'm going to like that book as well. And so uh, reviews of other books can be a great way um, to both make your subscribers happy and a way to make friends with other authors because who doesn't like having their <laughs> book reviewed on somebody else's email? And that sounds counterintuitive. It's like, why should I tell them to buy somebody else's book? They should be spending money on my book. But So it does feel counterintuitive, but it, it is not. These people are typically going to be voracious readers, and they will get both books. So do not worry about that. It's all about the reader. And if you get people into the habit of buying the books you recommend, imagine the effect of when you have a book that you recommend that happens to be your own book. They're definitely going to buy it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next thing is advice. So uh, – we know that even though this is the novel marketing podcast, that there are quite a few people who listen to this podcast who don't write novels. <laughs> they write nonfiction. <laughs> and you are welcome in the novel marketing. We love tent. you. Yeah, we, we love, love you. you. Uh, my book table works just as well for your books as it does for the novelists who write. And so there's uh, one uh, great topic is advice uh, that works particularly well for nonfiction writers. And you can answer reader questions and give advice related to your area of expertise with your book. And uh, if it's good advice and if your book is, offers good advice, presumably your emails will offer good advice. People will like to see that, especially if it's answering a question they have at- wondered in the past. Another thing you can do is run your own BookBub. Those of you not familiar with BookBub, you should educate yourself on it because it is a tremendous way to promote your books. You actually have to apply to be on their site. And essentially what they do is they send out an email daily that gives either discounted or free books. Uh, one of my books, uh, my book Rooms, was put on there um, earlier this year. This I think it was May. And it got to, I want to say, on the Kindle, it got to, in the paid store, something like, I don't know, 57. Overall. 57 overall. Wow. And and so, yeah, so that's massively successful. Um, And so you can do that same thing. First of all, you should look into BookBub if you haven't and see what it would take for you to be able to be in one of their promotions. And it costs to be in it. But what I've found for my own books, it's it's extremely uh, high ROI. But if you can't get in there, you can do your own book bub. You can do a discount on some of your novels in your newsletter and tell people for a limited time, my book is such and such. That's that's really good. Uh, the final thing that you can put, a way of providing consistent value is blog curation. So if you have an author blog, which we recommend uh, for most of you, and we have some great episodes on blogging you can check out at novelmarketing.com. Um, if, let's say you send out a quarterly email and you are blogging once a week. Well, maybe in that quarterly email, you have your most popular three blogs. So you're curating your own blog um, to share the kind of highlights. So folks who aren't like super fans of you and don't want to read your post every week, but do want to kind of get the highlights, this allows them to still be in communication. And so you're allowing your super fans essentially to filter the posts for your 
just regular fans. And uh, that can be a real uh, appeal of an email. Tip number two is that was a long tip number one. (laughs) Hopefully that was helpful. If y'all didn't like it, let us know. That that was the extended version of of tip number one. (laughs) The the rest of the tips are going to be a lot shorter. But tip number two is which email uh, or sorry, what software do you use for your email newsletter? And we both highly recommend MailChimp. Thomas, you want to hit the just the highlights of why? Yeah, so MailChimp, what I like the most about it is that it's free for the first 2,000 subscribers. And it typically takes an author a lot longer to reach 2,000 subscribers than it does to reach the next 2,000 to get to 4,000. Um, but the other reason I like it is that it has the best technology. So you can do drip campaigns. You can do uh, – it's easy for folks to opt in. It's easy to add subscribe forms to your website. It integrates with social media. Uh, there's a lot of technical reasons, and I'll just say trust me. <laughs> it's the best. And pretty much all of the other gurus recommend uh, MailChimp as well. Um, there are others that are good. Uh, AWeber is another one that's good, especially if you're very sophisticated technologically. AWeber can be good. Um, I find that MailChimp is easier to learn uh, for a lot of authors. But there's one and I, uh, that you must never use, and that is Outlook. Do not use Outlook or your personal email ever to send out email marketing. Uh, one, it's often against the rules. And so if Gmail or Yahoo or ever finds you doing that, they can ban your whole email account. Or if... Uh, someone marks you as spam, suddenly your personal inbox has been poisoned. Um, Also, it can be difficult for folks to unsubscribe if you're blind blind covering copying them. There's just a million reasons not to do that. We talk more about why not to do that in our episode about avoiding the spam filter. So just trust me. Don't use Outlook. I recommend MailChimp, but the other ones that are paid are better than Outlook. And one more thing about MailChimp, we get a lot of questions of people saying, wow, I signed up for MailChimp, I like it, it's easy to use for a non-techie person like me, but i got to give a physical address and I'm not that comfortable about giving my physical address out. And a lot of times the simple answer for that is you you get a P.O. box. That's right. And that's not a MailChimp rule. That's a United States Congress rule. This is one of the things of why you don't use Outlook because uh, sending that email through Outlook without the address in it, illegal. <laughs> you do not want to break the law. Uh, your book is not something worth going to jail over, especially over the marketing of your book. And so MailChimp uh, forces you to be in compliance with uh, United States law, which is nice. They keep you out of jail. Um, all right. Tip number three is to use mobile-friendly email design. So for those of you who set up your email newsletter back in the dark ages before the iPhone revolutionized the internet, you're going to need to get a new email template because most emails now are read on mobile devices. This is one of the reasons why email is so effective, why we're such big fans of email and why it's one of the most effective ways of selling books. Uh, It's because people read email in bed. You know, what other kind of marketing can you reach someone in bed? Sometimes the very first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is they check their email and it's the Mm -hmm. very last thing they do before they go to bed. It's kind of scary when you think about it. But it's what people are doing, and so you might as well reach them there. So um, MailChimp, again, makes this very easy. Uh, uh, The simpler your email is, the better it is to work on a phone. And just remember, you got to bump that font size. So just (laughs) because it looks good on your beautiful computer does not mean it will look good on a tiny uh, smartphone screen. So hopefully you have a smartphone. If you don't, borrow a friend's smartphone, send yourself a test email and see how it looks on that smartphone. Uh, Again, if you're using MailChimp, it's got a little smartphone tool so you can see in real time so you can tweak it and get it working right. Tip number four is be consistent. What we mean by this, if you decide to send it out quarterly, send it out quarterly. That's great. If you decide to send out 
monthly, that's great too. But make sure you have enough content to send out with the frequency you're, you're using. Because what happens a lot of times, people will say, well, I can do it quarterly. And then they start sending it out quarterly. They start looking at their analytics and going, wow, my open rate is really high. This is great. I'll amp it up to once a month. The problem is they don't have enough news or content. Or they're not once or... a month interesting. They're <laughs> yeah, only they're quarterly once, interesting. Once, once a month interesting. <laughs> and, then, and then your open rate starts dropping because people go, oh, I mean, they didn't really have much to say the last two times. I guess I can skip that. And so better to have awesome content four times a year than have mediocre content 12 times a year. That's right. And it's better to miss a frequency every once in a while than it is to send out a boring email. So that's that's one caveat. And so um, although we, we got this back when the author media uh, newsletter was going out all the time, people really found that helpful. And when we would miss a week, sometimes people would email us and be like, did I, did I get unsubscribed? I don't want to miss the email. And we're like, wow, okay, we'll make sure to not miss a week. But generally that doesn't happen. People don't freak out when you don't send an email. Now I will say, like I said before, when your book is coming out or you've got a conference coming up that's the focus of your list, you can boost the frequency if you have a good reason. And by good reason, I mean your subscribers would feel that this is a legitimate reason. So if you're an author and your book's coming out, that's a good reason. If you're a writer's conference and the deadline to sign up for the conference, you know, the email newsletters for the conference, yeah, people might be okay with getting five emails in one week, you know, reminding them about the deadline. Um, so that's what I mean by good reason. You can break the general rule of thumb of be consistent. Tip number five is don't be afraid to experiment. We all know the cliche, uh, don't judge a book by its cover, but people do all the time. People do judge a book by its cover, and they also judge a newsletter by its headline. Uh, so there's a way to split test your subjects. Thomas, you want to expand on that a little? Yeah. So MailChimp allows you to actually make two versions of your email, an A version and a B version. And we always do this when we're sending an email out um, for whatever company I'm consulting with because we find it to be so helpful. Uh, so what it will do, you set the percentage. Uh, so let's say it's 20%. So 20% of your subscribers get email subject A. 20% of your subscribers get email subject B. So like, for instance, with Courtship in Crisis, we had um, Courtship in Crisis releases tomorrow with subject A. And then subject B was Courtship in Crisis unleashed upon the world tomorrow. Uh, something like that was subject B. And we didn't know which would be more effective. One was shorter, but the other one was a little bit more sensational. And so instead of having an argument and, you know, the highest paid person deciding, um, we put both and we did a test through MailChimp. And again, this is so easy with MailChimp. And so MailChimp monitored to see which version got opened more often. And then it sent the balance, the 80% who weren't a part of the test, the or, uh, the more effective email. So 90% of our subscribers ended up getting the more effective optimized email subject, which was uh, is a very easy way to boost your open rate by 5 to 10% by just uh, trying different kinds of subjects. And the other nice thing about this is that it helps you learn what kind of email subjects work for your audience. Thomas, you can't leave, leave them hanging. Which oh, headline worked better? The unleashed. I, I'm pretty sure it was the unleashed upon the world. Um, I, I don't remember exactly uh, the exact words of the test because we test every email. But uh, yeah, uh, there's also another cool. This is a bonus tip, but um, there's a tool online called the Emotional Headline Analyzer, and it's great for blog post titles and great for emails. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. But it gives you can type in your um, email subject and it gives you a score from one to a hundred of how emotionally resonant that title is going to be for your audience. And it has a, a computer algorithm. And I find that it's 
helpful for us when we're brainstorming titles to come up with better words and more resonant, uh, more effective blog post titles and email subjects. And so it's called the Emotional Headline Analyzer. If you just Google it, you can find it or go to novelmarketing.com and you'll find it. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Tip number six, measure your results. This sounds uh, pretty obvious, but a lot of people don't do it. They start sending out these newsletters and then they don't look at the analytics and MailChimp does a great job even for non We've really got to get them to sponsor us. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. But even for non-techie people like me, I can look at the open rate. I can look at all these different analysis uh, when it's opened, hour by hour. It's really uh, very intuitive. And so measure re- results, but go one step beyond just measuring your results by looking at the data that MailChimp provides Ask your readers. People like to be involved, and if they like you as an author, oh my gosh, the, I can shape kind of where this newsletter is going. I can give my opinion. People love to do that. So poll your readers on a variety of things uh, and ask them what they want. In fact, if you don't know what to put in your next email newsletter, this is a great thing. Create a poll, a free one on SurveyMonkey or on Google Docs, and have that be the email. It's like, what do you want to see from me? And you give people some options and then another where they can put in and let your readers tell you what to write in your email. I, a friend of ours, Mary DeMuth, does this, and she polls her readers not just about what they want to see in emails, but also what form of communication do they prefer. And people actually, of all the ways that Mary interacts with folks online, the number one by far was her emails. People love getting her emails. They love reading them. They love sharing them with their friends, more than her blog, more than her Facebook. And so she would never have known that if she hadn't have asked her readers uh, through a poll. Tip number seven, and this is maybe the hardest, uh, keep it short. Winston Churchill was once asked uh, how long it takes him to prepare for a speech. And he said, well, how long is it? And uh, I'm, gonna get the, I'm getting this anecdote wrong. You probably know what it is, Thomas. But essentially what Churchill said, if I'm going to speak for two hours, uh, I'm ready to go right now. <laughs> if I'm going to speak for an hour, uh, it's going to take me 20 minutes to prepare. If I'm going to speak for 15 minutes... Uh, I'll need six days. Yeah. And I love that because the more you hone that down, the more each word has to be precise and not wasted. And and yet people will listen to the 15-minute speech much more often, say, on a TED Talk than the one that's an hour and a half long or, or, or any kind of speech. So the point here is keep it short and keep it gold. Seth Godin is a master of this in terms of the the blogging world where he sends out I don't know his hurt you know sometimes 50 words long sometimes 25 words long but and yet I get something out of every one of his blog posts it's very unusual for Seth to do something that's over you know what 150 200 words that's right and yet I am ready to read him each time and one of the reasons I'm ready to read him each time is I know it's not going to take me half an hour to read his stuff. So don't be afraid to keep it short. Have you ever in your life received an email where at the end of the email, you're like, wow, that email was so good. I wish it was longer. (laughs) Has that ever once in the millions of emails or hundreds of thousands of emails you've received in your lifetime ever happened a single time? I'm thinking no. (laughs) So the reality is, is that you almost can't make it too short. And, and short as your writers, you know, Short writing is harder than long writing. And the, you know, Winston Churchill was exactly right. But it's worth it. And the, lar- the larger your list is, the more of a responsibility you have not to waste people's time. So think about that. You have a 1,000 people, and you were going to write an email that took 
10 minutes to read, but you were able to shorten it to five minutes to read. That's five minutes of saved time times a thousand people. That's 5,000 minutes. That's over a day's worth of saved. I don't know how many days that is uh, 5,000 minutes, but it's over a day's worth of saved time that you just saved the economy by spending a little bit of time to write it better. So you have responsibility for the economy of the world. Okay, I don't want to oversell this. Just keep it short. <laughs> Do it, right. Edit unto others as you would have them edit unto you. And speaking of keeping it short, we're going to wrap up this episode <laughs> uh, by telling you the sponsor of this episode of uh, Novel Marketing is brought to you by my book, Table. You can save yourself 10% right now by using the coupon code Novel Marketing. And Thomas, is there anywhere people can go and actually see it in action? Yes, if you go to courtshipincrisis.com, which is my book that just came out, shameless plug, you can see my book table in action with the different buttons for the different stores there. And uh, you click the button, it takes you to your store of choice, and you can have that on your website for free, or you can get the pro version 10% off by using the coupon code Novel Marketing at mybooktable.com. Okay, again, go to Novel Marketing dot com uh sorry <laughs> go to my book table and put in the coupon code novel marketing i think i got it there we go uh, we'd love to hear from you uh feel free to leave us a comment or send us a message on novel marketing if you have a question we have a q a extravaganza coming up here in a few episodes we'd love to answer your question and feature your book uh, so let us know novelmarketing.com i'm james l rubart with thomas umstead and this has been the novel marketing podcast giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.